The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Soul of a Man, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. John never thought he could be so bodily tired as he was after the assault on Ultima Thule. After the medicines had come riding to the rescue at the last possible second, it had still been a day and a half of bloody fighting against the remnants of the Krieger forces before they finally caved. Once that happened, nearly the entire complement of CCCP personnel, save for the Commissar, Molotov, and a few others as security, were shipped back to Atlanta, with Untermensch in charge. The city needed a CCCP presence, for public relations as much as for keeping the peace. The same went for Echo. Anyone that wasn't part of the Leadership Council was on a C-130 back stateside. The conventional military forces were to be in charge of the prisoners captured and holding what remained of the ruined city. That suited John just fine. They had gone in, done what needed to be done, and then they got to go home. Even though he and Sarah had slept for the most part the entire way back, the flight had been somewhat tense. No one seemed to want to sit too close to them, and there were lots of glances and whispers directed their way. John was sure that he could actually feel the apprehension and fear that everyone was experiencing, though he still didn't know how. Initially, it had been no better once they were back at the CCCPHQ, unloading and inventorying equipment, running through post-operation medicals, and the like. What there was of equipment to bring back, that is, there hadn't been a lot to haul home. What hadn't been used had, more often than not, been destroyed in the fighting. Much of the equipment had been borrowed from Echo, so it wasn't that much of a net loss. But in true Russian fashion... Everything had to be double-checked with paperwork filled out in triplicate, by hand. Everyone around the base was walking on eggshells when it came to John and Sarah, none of them willing to break the silence to talk about the obvious questions. Just how powerful were John and Sarah now, and could they still be trusted with all of that power? John had heard talk that they were thinking of classifying him and Sarah as Op-4s now. It was unfathomable for him. It didn't feel like he was all that powerful or drastically changed. Well, besides his health, he hadn't realized how tired he had always been when he was still dying. The new senses were what really bothered him the most. But he still felt like the same man, not insane, not vested with terrible power, just... Same old John Murdoch, who liked a few brews after a long day on patrol, would tear into a good steak like a tiger, and had a healthily carnal interest in the love of his life. It was Pavel that saved him and Sarah in the end. Most of the team was assembled in one of the larger storage rooms, moving and logging crates. Bear had been shifting uncomfortably on his feet. He was watching everyone else, how they were reacting to John and Sarah, still keeping their distance. Finally, it seemed that he was fed up. 
Etos mesno, he muttered, uncrossing his arms and standing up. He clumped loudly over to John and Sarah with everyone's eyes on him. There was a pause that seemed to go on too long as everyone was quiet and still. So, Murdoch, are you planning on being exploding any time soon? If being so, give warning so I may relocate stock of Chef O'Boykins. A bear can get hungry, no? Good. Help with welding job in motor pool after we finish chore here. And just like that, the tension snapped like an overstretched rubber band. The others began treating John and Sarah like part of the team again. Georgie was his usual gruff and stoic self. Thea began calling him Johnny again, and Yadwiga badgered him about getting an updated medical. He hadn't realized how much he had come to depend on all that, until it was gone. After having been on the run from the program for so many years, and being completely alone, he now had friends, family even. First with the neighborhood that he had helped to rebuild and defend. Next with the CCCP, his teammates who accepted him even now when others feared or shunned him. And finally, Sarah, his beloved. That was surely a mystery to top all others, that he had found love again. It all added up and gave him a full heart. I haven't felt home in a long, long time. But I think this is what it's like. It wasn't until later that night, after their shift had ended and they were able to retreat back to his squat, that John and Sarah had a few moments alone. They were both still exhausted from the work of the day and their exertions during the battle in the Himalayan mountains. Instead of flying, which he was starting to really enjoy now that he was getting better at it, they walked quietly, taking in the cooler night air and the quiet sounds of the neighborhood settling down for the evening. They took their time, arm in arm, each with their thoughts. They didn't need to talk right then. It seemed enjoying each other's company was enough. Sarah waited until both of them had cleaned up and become comfortable before she approached John. He was on the roof of the squat, where they had so often talked, sipping a cold beer. She waited a moment, poised in the entrance to the roof, regarding him from behind. How often she had watched him like this, and him not aware of it. But now... Someone tell you to keep the door propped open with yourself, darling? He chuckled, not turning his head. She laughed a little and joined him, arms crossed on the edge of the parapet that surrounded the flat roof. You knew I was there. He grinned lopsidedly. I knew. Can't help knowing anymore, it seems. We're stuck together. He leaned over, brushing his shoulder against hers. Does this trouble you? It is a symptom of how things have changed for both of us. She turned her gaze on him. At the moment, her eyes were human, a beautiful blue. That part won't ever trouble me, 
I don't think, darling. But the other stuff. It's given me a lot to think about, that's for sure. I can feel others' emotions if they're close enough now. It isn't quite mind-reading, thank goodness. I don't know if I could handle being in anyone's head but my own. Then I will take that burden upon myself, she said gravely. I shall shield you from it. But the emotions I do not think I can shield you from. It is something you, I, we need. We must always know the cost of what we do to those around us. Well, hell, darling, I can't ask you to do that on your own. We'll handle it together. It's how we've come this far. He took her hand. I just want to know what the hell it is first. This may be old hat to you and other angels, but it's fairly new for little old me, you know. He softened his words by grinning at the end. She smiled and lifted his hand to her lips to kiss it. No magic. Nothing you have not heard of before. Just what Bella does. Telepathy and empathy. I shared both with her when you changed. So the power of both is divided by three, and the power itself is lessened from what it once was, as all my powers are. Empathy, that is simple. You feel what others feel. We need that, you and I, so we are always aware of the impact of our power. Telepathy, you can indeed read at least the surface thoughts of others. Bella is more powerful than either of us there now. She can read deeply, deeply beneath the surface, as deep as she cares to go. I began sharing power with her before you and I came to know each other well. Maybe I ought to start taking lessons from her to get a handle on this. Think she'd go for it. I don't feel comfortable with it as it stands. I sure as shit wouldn't want a baby telepath traipsing around my noggin. She took his hand in both of hers. You can trust Bella as you can trust me. And it would relieve her greatly. She is concerned about us. We'll have to do something about that. Having Bella on our side can only help when it comes to Natalia. He thought for a few moments, sipping from his beer before continuing. As far as the new... abilities go, there's also how we are when something needs doing. Like fighting. She nodded. We frighten people. We are... We are very, very powerful together. Much more so than the two of us separately. I think, perhaps, even you are frightened. John shrugged, pondering for a moment. No, it's not quite that. 
I mean, that's something else that we are gonna have to deal with. I'm used to being one of the things that goes bump in the night for bad guys, so being feared isn't... new. Being feared like this is... We've both been dangerous people for a long while. Hell, all of our friends are dangerous. It's that now we're being seen as dangerous to the wrong sort of folks. Our people. Old Man Bear saved our bacon earlier, that's for certain. Not sure how things are going to play out with the Commissar, though. You saw her face when we... Well, when we brought Pavel back. Sarah shook her head. We did not bring Pavel back. He had not left. We merely made it possible for him to continue. You see, that's the thing, though. Did you know that we could do that before we did it? It was like, one moment, he was gone. But then we started moving, not needing to say a single word, and we did what we did. I sure as hell didn't know. How do you think Bella saved the commissar? She laid one hand lightly over his. How do you think Bella saved you? That was once one of my powers. Now it is ours, shared. We know, without knowing how we know, when it is permitted to assist others to live, and we make it so. She turned her gaze skyward. It is not everyone we may assist, and only rarely. But we will know when permission is given. If you were to listen closely, you would hear it. The voice that tells you these things but in the midst of chaos it is not possible to listen, and so the infinite makes it known within us and shows us the way. That's pretty spooky, you know, at least for a dumb grunt like me. He took another swig of his beer. Something like that happens when we're fighting, too, doesn't it? But... Different, I think. We're more in control. We decide what to do. But it's like it's all laid out before us beforehand. What movements to make, where to strike, when to dodge. Together, we can see the futures. Not as much as I once could, alone. But that truly would drive us both mad. She shook her hair back so that it fell between her wings and down her back. We see what our enemies will do, and so we can move to counter them. So it's kind of a... battle sense or something. Does that sound right? He turned to look her in the eyes, setting his beer on the ledge. She turned her gaze from the heavens to meet his eyes. That is a very good thing to call it, she said gravely. The sense of how the battle will flow, 
I think if we were to be quiet together, we would see more of the futures. How much I do not know, and I know it would be limited. Matthew March could not bear the sight. I am not altogether sure how much we could. <laughs> I'm not sure that I want to see much of the future. The present is complicated enough as is. She smiled and brushed the side of his face with her fingers. It must be done together if it is done at all, beloved. Let's hold off on all the divination and spooky stuff. I've got a better idea of how we can spend our time for the evening. She chuckled, low and happily. <laughs> One does not need to see the futures to predict what you have in mind. What can I say? He grinned again. I'm a simple man sometimes. This was not a call Vicky was even remotely comfortable with making. But it had to be done. Bella was counting on her. Overwatch, open JM Private. Johnny? It took a few moments before she heard a reply. Murdoch here. What's the sitch, Vic? It sounded like he was still waking up. Given the last few days that everyone had gone through, she wasn't surprised that he was resting up. Last few days? Bloody hell, this last month had been a roller coaster, and most of it had been utterly terrifying. If there were any justice, they would all be on a beach in Tahiti right now. It's such a magical place, and Lord knows that Thea could use some sun. Listen, big guy, I am going to cut straight to the chase. You guys are scaring the bejesus out of anyone who knows anything about metas, and it is a damn good thing no one has released footage of you two to the press yet. Bella promised everyone to give you a once-over. She can't because she's ass-deep in VIPs and metas and crap, so she asked me to. So, you got time to come over and get magically vetted as sound insane? Give us 15 to get decent and get over there? Sure. Shall I send a cab? She asked, not entirely in jest. How are they going to get dressed and over here in 15 minutes? Are they materializing clothing now? Is he going to pick her up and carry her while he sprints? It had taken Earl at least half an hour to get here. Then again, maybe there aren't any Earls left. Still, how the hell are they going to get here so fast? No, save the fare. We'll manage. See you in 15. Murdoch out. She went to put on a pot of green tea. Fifteen minutes later to the dot, there was a knock on the same window Red Genie had plunged through to save her life. She had had it replaced with a kind of miniature metal French door, a metal gate that opened inward, glass that slid up, and screen that opened outward so she could open it to fresh air and, yes, let aerialists like the genie in, 
but still have the security of bars on it. And there was a tiny faux balcony out there, just enough for a foothold. Sarah and J.M. were hovering outside the window. Thankfully, they were both fully dressed. John was balanced on what looked for all the world like rocket motors on his feet. Well, the flames of rocket motors, anyway. She threw the window open, staring at him. Okay, sure, she knew thanks to his ocular camera that he flew, but this was the first time she'd seen it in person. Morning, comrade. Got a pot of tea ready? I, uh, yeah. Come on in. She backed away from the window, wondering how they were going to manage the maneuver of getting inside without falling or getting wings hung up on the window. Or, in his case, setting fire to the building. Sarah accomplished it by backing up a bit, getting higher than the window, touching down on the balcony with her feet, grasping the upper ledge of the window and swinging inside with wings tucked into her body and tightly closed. John dropped down a few feet below the bottom of the window, until only the top of his head was showing. Then, with a loud pop, he ramped up and then turned off the fires around his feet, propelling him up and in just enough to clear the window and land at his full height on the floor. Know how to make an entrance for sure, she said, closing the window again. I'm getting better. Sarah can still fly circles round me any time she feels like it. To Vicky's surprise, Sarah's response to that sally was a low chuckle and a happy smile. A smile? Vicky tried to think if there had been any time that she had ever seen the angel smile, and couldn't. There was nothing wistful or sad about the smile. It was full of joy and contentment. She was changing. No, she had changed. And so had John Murdoch. The ease and relaxation of the new John, the surety of the old John, and a quiet joy that matched the seraphims. In fact, in fact, they were no longer, in several senses, two beings. They were two halves of a greater whole, yin and yang, twin stars, two living flames intermingling to be brighter together than they would be apart. The seraphim, the old seraphim, had made Vicky's knees melt with awe. These two, together, only filled her with wonder. Nothing will ever separate them. Nothing. Not death, not time, nothing known to this reality. It was perfection. Her mouth was dry, and she went to pour three mugs of tea, downing one before handing the other two off. Well, so... She swallowed hard again. Sarah, I am going to take a pass on betting you. First of all, you were an op four quadruple Lutz combination with a triple toe loop, a double sow cow, and a half flip, and a 10.0 from the Soviet judge before, and you didn't wake out on anyone. I think we can count on you not going postal now. Sarah hid a smile behind the tea mug, 
but Vicky saw her raise an amused eyebrow. On the other hand, Johnny, you were just a garden-variety fire-chucker before you turned into Vulcan God of Fire, though maybe Perun would be more appropriate. She stopped short when she noticed John wince ever so slightly, and watched Sarah gently place a hand on his forearm. He feigned mock hurt to cover for himself, but she could tell that she had struck a nerve. Garden variety. I figured I was at least mid-shelf. Oh, shit. Wasn't there a CCCP meta that died next to him by that name? Oh, yeah, during the reb attack that Ubermensch showed up for. A way to stick your foot in it, Vix. She swallowed nervously and continued her train of thought. So... So... You want to perform rites over me, with incense and athames and all sorts of other mystical implements, to ensure that I won't turn inside out and set everything on fire. Well, unless I'm asked to, right? John sipped his mug of green tea quietly, his eyes watching her with a sort of bemused intensity over the edge of the cup. Asked to? Or told to? she asked soberly. Is he going to insist on being asked politely, or is he still willing to follow orders? Because we really don't need an arrogant godlet right now. John waved his free hand outward, placatingly. Just a turn of phrase, comrade. All the same, he said, folding the hand under his arm as he sipped from the mug. You invited us here for a reason. We came here, right? If this had been either of the old JMs, she wouldn't have hesitated. The words would have had no extra weight behind them. They would have been simple and simply interpreted. But this was a man who had done impossible things. He had all of the lethal skills of the old man, and far more power. And he killed, and did not hesitate. That was the problem. Before, angered, he could have killed several people if he had to, barehanded without his fires. But it would have been precise and surgical, and there would have been no overkill. People would be dead, but only if it was necessary. This was... a... man with the same calm ability to kill. But was he a man with the same control, the same judgment, the same restraint? And that last strike before the Kriegers had made their final push, when Sarah had been boosting him, before they collapsed, he had fried blocks worth of the city, and the two of them weren't even at full power when they'd done it. They'd been exhausted by their earlier efforts. What could they do if they were at full power? What had Matthew March said? The world in flames? Had she been wrong in her interpretation all this time? Was this what he had seen? But did that jive with what she knew about John as a man, as a human, well, metahuman being? Would that much power have made that much difference? 
other op fours had come fully into their powers, from nothing, and that much change over that short time period had made them all crazy. A lot crazy, like some, or only a little crazy, thinking you were a goddess, or drowning yourself in the middle of the ocean because you were suicidally depressed. Maybe coming into your power slowly, you stayed yourself. Maybe when you had someone who loved you, who completed you, and who herself was preternaturally stable, you would be stable too. Only one way to find out. Let's do this, she said, putting her mug down. I promise it won't hurt you. Me? Well, remains to be seen. John shrugged, finishing his mug before setting it on a kitchen counter. Lead on, teenage witch. The little rock creature that Vicky called Herb came toddling into the living room, spotted Sarah, and made a beeline for her. Vicky's enormous familiar sauntered up to John and looked up at him, then gave him a brief brush of his head and followed Herb. That steadied her. If Herb, who was still an earth elemental, and Gray, who was far more attuned to the preternatural than she was, were comfortable with John. After you, she said, opening the door to her workroom. She'd put away the cot that Sarah had used here for so long, and it was back to being the magical workroom that she was used to. Well, sort of. There was still a boost in her wards and shields that seemed to be permanent and could only be attributed to the presence of the seraphim. Even at reduced power, she had had celestial protections, and that seemed to have rubbed off on Vicky's own protections. As John took his place in the center of her magical circle, without her direction, she raised the wards and strengthened the shields with a brief invocation and a triggering thought. All right. Like I said, this won't hurt you, she told him, and began the process that would reduce him to the mathematical formulas that would, she hoped, tell her everything she needed to know. You can talk if you like. All right, Johnny Murdoch. How much of you is still in there? She knew exactly what he used to look like. From her old sample, she had a mathematical model that described him in every possible way. From the simple physical structure through the enhancements and powers to his personality. Now she had to build a new model to compare the old one to. Simple physical structure. That was the least complicated. And already there were differences. Positive ones. The thing that had been killing him was gone but not at the expense of losing his old powers. Now, enhancements and powers. Oh, new things there. Without asking him what they were, she couldn't actually know what they were. But there was something she recognized from Bella as empathy and telepathy. There was something else in the mix, too. Something she couldn't ID but it was linked in with what she knew were mental psionic powers, 
and she wasn't going to have to worry about that. If he was going to have problems with being a scion, he'd have shown it by now. Fires. Her eyes widened as she realized how amped up they were. Oh, she'd known that, but here it was, quantified. But he's not the powerhouse the original Seraphim was. Oh, thanks be to the gods. People were not meant to handle that kind of power. Well, the instability of the Op 4s pretty much proved that. And she looked closer. Closer? Was that a Celeste? There was no warning. There was a shrill, a visceral alarm, and suddenly she found herself propelled into the wall as if she had been backhanded by a giant. She didn't even have the chance to prepare herself for a better fall. She hit the wall and slid down it, seeing stars. Jesus! Johnny was instantly by her side. Are you all right, kiddo? Her brain wasn't working. She looked up at him, dazed. What happened? She managed. I, I don't know. I felt something build, and so I, I guess I kind of shut off the connection. Are you okay? He looked concerned, crouching over her but careful not to touch her, as if he was afraid it would give off static electricity. Or worse. She laughed shakily. <laughs> Show me on the doll where the bad magician touched your angel parts, Johnny, she said. He cocked his head at her, then grinned lopsidedly. You ain't right, mage. You know that, I hope. Let's try this another way. Out to the living room, with Sarah there. No shields, no wards. I think that whatever that was, it interpreted my looking as a threat. I think with Sarah there, it might not or she'll keep it from zotting me. She started to try to get to her feet, but didn't get the chance. John picked her up bodily and set her down again, carefully. Once out in the living room, she explained what she was going to do to Sarah, who listened, nodding. I believe I know what happened, and yes... I believe I can prevent it from hurting you again. Vicky raised an eyebrow at John. I did say that it wasn't going to hurt you. And without waiting for a reply, and with John sitting beside Sarah on the sofa, she repeated her incantations, this time zeroing in on the firepowers. This time, rather than attacking her, the celestial component did something she had never seen magic do before. It scrambled and blurred itself, changing the equations so rapidly she literally could not read them. Alrighty then, she said aloud, satisfied that at least it wasn't going to constitute a threat. It just didn't want anyone who might be able to use it to look at it. That was fine. I don't want to muck with celestial magic anyway. Ever. Way above my pay grade. She dismissed everything with a sigh. 
short form. You two aren't going to go crazy, and you aren't going to hurt anything that doesn't deserve it, at least as long as you two are together. John, the two of you are insanely powerful and dangerous in the right circumstances. You especially, given your personal experience combined with the new abilities and senses you have. Sarah acts as a... a channel for the power, and as your governor. And don't worry about what would happen if she was gone. It won't matter. She could be vaporized and you would still be together in all the senses that count. I think you are as powerful as you're going to get. From here on out, it's a matter of refining and honing what you can do. Better control, more precise application. Experience. Learning how to pace yourselves. I think we're all on the same page, Vic. This is all pretty new territory for me, but Sarah said she's going to help me get a handle on it. We were thinking of maybe asking Bella for some help with some of the... new stuff, too. He looked down at the floor for a moment, intently studying the carpet for a beat, before he raised his head and stared into Vicky's eyes. Are we... really that powerful, though? As much as everyone has been saying? Off the charts she replied. Okay, there has never been a fire-powered Op 4 before, so your potential for destruction really has people nervous. Since no two Op 4s have ever been alike, it's kind of hard to compare you. But... Have you guys even seen the footage of the two of you? Sarah and John looked to each other, then back to Vicky as they shook their heads. Permit me. She picked up the wireless keyboard that she kept on the coffee table, woke up the TV, swapped it to be an Overwatch monitor. Overwatch, play all footage, living room. UT, Seraphim Murdoch. This was the first time she had reviewed all of the footage, and there were some sequences caught by eyes piloted by Gray and Herb, or following the pair on automatic that even she hadn't seen. From the first lances and spears of fire to the final swath of destruction before they both collapsed and the medicine ship showed up, it was... Okay, she was getting that hair on the back of the neck scary she was sure a lot of military blokes were right now. When the screen went blank, she turned to the two of them. See what I mean? John was the first to speak. You know, I didn't know how flattering Nanoweave pants were. If I had any money, I'd buy up some Echo stock for that alone. Sarah giggled and elbowed him in the ribs. She giggled. The angel giggled. I didn't know they did that. But the giggle had the odd effect of making that edge of the cliff waiting for lightning feeling ease up. So she sighed with exaggeration. Don't quit your day job, Murdoch. No way you're replacing Craig Ferguson. All right, all right. Anyways. He turned to look at Vicky again. 
I see your point. Do you think that you and Bella vetting us is going to be enough to calm folks down? We just got done with one battle. I don't want to start fighting a whole new sword anytime soon, if it can be helped. Yes and no, she said honestly. The people you actually have to worry about, all the military blokes, will stand down on the condition red where you two are concerned. But you know how this works. If they don't already have a firing solution to take you two out at need, they are going to start working on one. Just in case. Because that's how this works. Right? I hate to say it, but you aren't wrong. We're potential threats now. We're on their radar, which is a bad place to be. That'll be something we have to figure out how to deal with long term. Once Bella and the Commissar are back from meet us. If they were not considering neutralizing us at need, I would consider them to be suicidally foolish, Sarah put in. How could they possibly trust us without believing in what I was? And belief is not something one can force upon someone. She shrugged. But what of ordinary folk? A mob is as dangerous as a missile. Spin doctor, Vicky said succinctly. Already working on it. Figuring out exactly how to release that footage, and he'll be ready when we get the go-ahead from the military mavens. She hesitated a moment. One of the notions he broached was to doctor the footage, tone your destruction down a couple of notches. Maybe eliminate something like the two of you duoing that dragon. I'll leave all that to the specialist. Public relations hasn't really been my strong point. Like, ever. I am indifferent. They may show whatever they please so long as they do not demand we hobble ourselves in reality, Sarah said, shrugging. John nodded. Herb had brought more mugs of tea for them, and John took his immediately. We just want to keep doing our jobs. Whatever we need to make happen for that, well, that's what needs to be done. She had to smile a little. When she thought about the old pre-invasion days, and even just afterwards, when it seemed as if half of the focus of every meta was publicity. Autographs, action figures, fan clubs, so many of them would have had a meltdown at the very idea of having their footage doctored to portray less than what they could do. You and Jeannie, she murmured. Different reasons, of course. And as always, there was pain when she thought of Jeannie. She had reviewed every bit of his footage already. If there had been any shred of doubt in her mind about Red and Mel, well, the footage in the Tesla Tower, and their reaction when the medicines saved everyone's bacon and they knew the glass strike had been called off, would have told her that Mel and Red were... right for each other. Give it up, Victrix. Give it up. 
John and Sarah shared a look, then turned to face Vicky. Hey, kiddo. You all right? It's something about Red, isn't it? She started and then recovered outwardly, if not inwardly. Empathy and telepathy. Hell. John held up his hands placatingly. I wasn't trying to pry, honest. Like I said, still getting used to this new stuff. Uh, more of a case of... Couldn't help but hear, you know? She swallowed tears. It doesn't matter. Whatever I feel, it doesn't matter. It won't change anything. And... She couldn't complete the sentence. You can't know that. Not for certain, kiddo. He set down his mug, moving forward to the edge of his seat on the couch. You obviously feel pretty damn strongly for the genie. It's coming off you in waves. I've gotten to know him a bit better since the raid in the Superstition Mountains. He's an all right sort. For a reckless asshole. Reminds me of someone now that I think about it. He punctuated his sentence with one of his grins. I don't think that would be something he could ignore. It doesn't matter, she replied, with more force than she had intended, and tears she had not wanted to start, escaping to scald their way down her face. He's with reverie. Now, I'm... I'm just a friend. Besides, she added bitterly, I'm an agoraphobic freak show, and <laughs> she's beautiful. The contest was over before it ever started. First Bella, then Mel. It's not as if someone like me could ever get in the arena, much less compete. She couldn't continue. Her throat closed, and she scrubbed at the tears on her face with her gloved hands. Oh, hey, listen. It's all right, kiddo. I didn't mean to dig all this up for you. We've all been through a hell of a lot the last couple of years. Hell, the last few days especially. But things are looking up. You gotta see that. He glanced over his shoulder at Sarah quickly before continuing. I ran from a lot of things for years. You know about the meat of it. The government, the program, and so on. But I was also on the run from who I was as a person and what I wanted. I pushed people away and didn't allow myself to find love until it was almost too late. It might be a stretch to say that it was part of what was killing me, but I don't think it'd be that much of a stretch. Sarah touched his hand, and that simple act made Vicky's eyes burn all over again. I... do not know what to advise you, the seraphim said humbly. Only that you must not cut yourself off from emotion. That will destroy you. Perhaps you should tell the genie. 
but the uncertainty in the seraphim's voice only hardened the resolve in Vicky. Not an option, she said harshly. I will not destroy the trust he has in me just to indulge in a stupid fantasy. We're not done. We're not even close to being done. Some of the Keithulians and a lot of personnel escaped, and you don't escape unless you have a place to escape, too. She took a deep breath, swallowed the last of her tears, and steeled her voice. I won't jeopardize the team for emotion. It's only me, and what I feel doesn't matter. What I do does. You gotta do what you think is best, of course. I'm not trying to say anything different. Just go for love, always. We don't have much time here, and love is always worth the effort, no matter what. That's one of the few things that I've learned in my short time on this spinning rock. His words surprised her. This wasn't something she was used to hearing out of John, the self-described dumb grunt. Is it worth it? She thought she'd defeated her tears. Is it worth it if it never goes any farther than you? She couldn't hold it back anymore. Because it hurts. It just hurts so much. You'll never know if and you don't try, kiddo. I'm not saying now is the right time, but I do know that I don't like seeing you like this. Who else is going to steer my dumb ass in the right direction on an operation? She closed her eyes, fought for, and obtained control again. No point in arguing with them, and right now... Right now, their very presence here was rubbing salt in the raw wound, though they couldn't have known that. Thanks, Johnny. I appreciate the advice. Could they tell she was lying? Magic shields work a lot like psionic shields. She threw up and hardened her own. I'll think about it. But please, don't tell anyone else about this. Promise? I don't want this to go any further. Even Bella doesn't know. Around Bella, she kept her shields like diamond. It wasn't as if all her friends didn't have too much to worry about already without adding a soppy, unrequited love to the mix. No problem, Vix. If and you need anything, you know how to reach us. Just a call and a short flight away. They stood up and headed for the window. She followed them. She got the feeling that they knew very well she was only paying lip service to their words, but they didn't seem inclined to press the point, and she, well, she just wanted to get back to things she could do something about. The more she worked, the less she had to feel. She closed and locked up the window after them, and stood there for a moment, staring at her living room without seeing it. Then she started as Sam Colt opened her link. Overwatch Sam to Vix. 
Go, Sam, she said, jumping over the coffee table and sprinting for the control room, heart hammering. What could have happened now? Some horror weapon rising out of the rubble? Poison gas? Neurotoxins? I think you need to hear this. Her HUD switched on as she launched into her chair, and all her monitors lit up. Found her wandering around in the ruins, someone was saying as Sam Colt focused on one of the eyes she had left behind on a search and rescue team. Looks like she's one of the infill team members. We're sending her back to Atlanta as soon as we can get her on a plane, but she's pretty disoriented. Can you ID her? Sam zoomed the cam in on the woman on the stretcher, who was weakly protesting that she could walk on her own. Vicky gasped in disbelief. Filthy, bruised, uniform torn in several places, two black eyes, blonde hair a snarled mess, she was still unmistakable. It was Scope. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.